you see the captain of the ship, you know, running for his life jacket, and you see the stewardess running and pulling down oxygen, you react to the same environment. But you look at people that are leaders around you, you see how they react as a clue how you can react. Caution, you will begin to love your 9 to 5 with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome back to the Love Your 9 to 5 show. My guest today is Adam Lieberman. Adam has been with us in the past and shared with us some of his pearls of wisdom regarding sales training regarding becoming just the very best sale at, that you can be at sales today after launching our first online course where adam goes really deep into sharing some of those and teaching some of those topics today we're going to focus on a little bit of a different aspect of sales today we're talking specifically to those of you who are listening who are sales managers and you have a sales team under you or you're a small business and you're the owner of the business and you have a team that you need to manage and you need to make sure that they're the, as effective as they possibly could be. So today, Adam is going to share with us exactly how to do that. Ready for it, Adam? Sounds great. Okay. So let's do this. So let's start from the very beginning. When you want to put together a team, you want to make sure that the people on your team are the very best that they can be. So when you're actually looking and searching and scouting out for the right salespeople, what do you look at in an interview? What are the things that show you this person is going to be a superstar? And, and maybe also, what is the best source of new talent? Great. So, I mean, first off, when it comes to finding great salespeople, there's not one size fits all. People feel you have to be the most outgoing and personable and have a silver tongue. It's simply not the case. The best salespeople out there come in all shapes and all sizes. When it comes to building a sales team, it's very important to keep in mind if you're the owner of a company trying to build a sales team or you're a sales manager and you're trying to build a team under you, ultimately you have to find salespeople that can work well within a certain system. Some sales organizations, people work by themselves, straight commission salespeople. They could be working independently, independent contractors. Other salespeople work with inside and a, you know, a big, larger group. Uh, they have teams they're working with. Sometimes sales teams are all in-house based. Sometimes sales teams work inside of a store or in some kind of other retail environment. Sometimes sales forces work traveling together. So ultimately, you have to make sure that the person that's coming to the sales team, the most important thing is can they work with inside a culture and an environment and a structure that you have in place you'd like to put in place. Okay, so let's assume, let, let's assume that you're interviewing this person and – and, uh, you know, Ron comes in and you interview him and Ron sounds like he'll be a great fit for the team. Now, he could be the best fit with the team on the basketball court or when they're out having drinks on the weekend. But at the end of the day, when it comes to having the right skill set, they're not only fitting with the team that will be able to contribute to the success of the company and the success of the team. Is, is there anything you can see before they actually start? Everyone's going to say that they're amazing. But on the actual interview, or, or as you're scanning resumes, or you're talking to people and doing everything you're doing for recruitment, is there any one particular uh, trait that you look for once you know that, once you see that they're ready, will be fit for the team? Sure, there's probably four or five different traits. I mean, the first trait, when somebody comes in, 
as I said before, are they, if you have a, an environment where they're all the team player, people will always say they are a team player. But we'll co- I'm sure we're going to cover compensation plans on this podcast. Yes, we will. And, okay, and sometimes, you know, when people come into an environment, um, some sales structures are set up that it's, for lack of a better term, dog-eat-dog. And, and it's very difficult to build a cohesive, long-lasting, and powerful sales organization if it's pitting one salesperson against another. Some organizations okay. have that structure, and, I'm, and I very much am against that. So ultimately, okay. you have to make sure the person will be that team player, and you have to make sure that the sales environment and the compensation plan is going to be synonymous and cohesive with that individual of the team structure. Okay. Number two... Make sure the person, when they're coming on board, and a lot of people say, where do you see yourself in three years or five years, and and people have different goals and aspirations. Sales, again, depending upon how the organization is set up and if you're selling a product or a service, all depends upon the kind of person you want to hire. So, for example, if you're going to hire, if your sales, if your product is something right now that is is a service, say you're selling to a, a large corporation, and the sales cycle, what that means is how long it takes the sale to take place. Mm-hmm. It could be six months or a year if all things go great. For example, you're selling a high-end IT product or service to a major corporation. If everything goes like clockwork, it literally works out perfectly. January 1st, you make the presentation. If everything works great, you won't get the actual sale completed and the check from the customer until December 31st. That could be a long sales cycle. Okay. Some people's personalities are not cut out for that. They want immediate gratification. They want to make sure they get paid early rather than later. So it's very important to find out the second trait is to make sure is the person's personality suited for your product or service, meaning some people want to get paid, have a product right now where they get paid right away. Some people want to get a higher commission and sell less products. Some people want to sell many more products to make a smaller commission. So there's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to a product or service or a sales cycle, and therefore it's not a one-size-fits-all. Make sure the person's personality is suited for that. The third thing is a lot of sales jobs, a lot of them, whether it's all commission or it's commission bonus-based or incentivized compensation plans, make sure the person can have staying power. Some sales, you don't have the ability to go ahead and see the fruits of your labor sometimes until three months, four months, six months, eight months later. And if people don't have that staying power with them and where they have a financial cushion or they have the ability to go ahead and withstand that or the company is not going to give them a significant or necessary draw or salary along the way, mm-hmm. what happens is people don't naturally sell the right way. They're too fearful they're not going to get paid. They get too nervous they're not going to make a commission. They get you know concerned about meeting this week's rent and therefore, they sell in a way that's unproductive to the sales process. They're going to push something too early. So the third trait is make sure the person's able to go ahead and have the financial wherewithal to fit into your compensation plan, how that works. And I guess the final point that is probably the most important one that really wraps it all together. The person coming in has to be driven because sales is the only industry and the only uh, career where, you know, the owner or the manager will sign the check, but the salesperson fills the numbers in. And people very easily, human natures, have that comfort zone. They get complacent. And, you know, you want to make sure that people around you are always driven and always going to want to succeed and, and to build more because it's much easier to take a salesperson and make them go from good to great than to constantly bring in new salespeople over and over again. So I'm much rather have somebody that actually hits out of the park 
and gets those doubles and triples versus hiring a lot of people that get singles because ultimately those higher level people will actually build your company and take it to the next level. Wow. Okay. So that's quite a, quite a full answer that even after seeing that someone is a good fit for the team, you got to make sure that the person is the right fit for your product or service that you're selling based on their personality. If, if they could stick it out for the long uh, selling sales cycle, if that's what you're doing. So really, even before you're meeting with salespeople, you got to understand yourself exactly what you're se- what you're selling, and you have to know all this information well in order to know if the person is going to be a good fit for the team. Otherwise, you really, you know, you're really just working in the dark. Now that's very complete. And so let's move on because you've already brought in so many other things that I want to talk about. So let's keep on moving further. Now you have your sales team; they're ready in, they're working well together, and you did the best that you can. Uh, to make sure that you have the right people on the team. Now, something is, I've myself, I've spoken to people, I'm in the nursing home industry, and I've spoken, I've hired people in marketing roles, and a lot of them are not happy, and not happy is an understatement, but they get really, really upset when they feel like they're being micromanaged. You know, they're not sure if their phones really have GPS devices in them, which they, hopefully they don't. But what is the best way that you can manage your team, make sure that they're producing as much as they really can in a in a realistic way without feeling like and without actually micromanaging them, letting them grow and be successful at their own pace? Okay, so it's a great question, and it really comes back to, you know, I'm a lot of times I'll do sales training, and sometimes the best sales training and the best ideas and concepts are ineffective because it's built around a foundation and an ideology the company has that can't support the ideas. Let me give you what I mean. What, 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 what I mean, it ties into your question. When it comes to micromanaging employees, let's say a company right now has independent salespeople working on straight commission that are all 1099 employees. Okay. By definition, by definition, those people are hands-off. They won't be micromanaged. In fact, they won't be managed at all. A 1099 independent contractor, somebody working out there and doing, obviously, you want to have some structure, making sure there's some kind of organization, some kind of rules and regulations, some kind of ability to manage that, that a team. But by definition, someone's going to be straight commission out to the salesperson, 1099, I don't want to be managed mindset. Conversely, somebody right now that's going to be getting a salary, that is an employee, that is getting paid a regular paycheck, you can demand and expect more of accountability and more using words management, micromanagement in that environment. But there's a very big distinction and a very big difference and a game changer when it comes to morale and motivation. Am I being managed? Or am I being led? Am I being micromanaged or am I being led? And okay. the difference, difference is not semantics. It is a game changer how to build an organization. Because management means taking somebody, giving them rules and regulations, and making sure you stay on top of them to make sure they follow the rules and regulations. Are you bringing me, example, you know, making you know, X amount of phone calls per day? Do you have 30 business cards from presentations? Are you making X amount of meetings on a weekly basis? Give me the numbers of referrals or the, the trade groups you went to or the networking groups you went to. Let's, let, me, let me manage that and make sure you're actually doing your job. Become more of a glorified babysitter than a leader. That's track one. That's okay. effective because people, all, all you have right now is you have a bunch of people that are, you know, that, that are working out there as salespeople, but they feel like they're being, as you use, managed. And I feel many managers, if they have that term, micromanage, they want to make sure people are doing a certain job. Now, let, me, let, me leader, just jump in, let me jump in there. Before you talk about a leader for a second, having worked for several companies and having 
um, having been micromanaged, I can tell you the number one reason why people who are micromanaged by managers are why it's so demoralizing is because all the examples you gave reeks from distrust. If you trusted me at all, if you believed in me, you hired me, you're paying me a lot of money, you should be able to know that there may be some level of of um you know of overlooking what i'm doing is appropriate but at the same time if you need to know every single number of every person ever called and if i don't hand you the business cards you assume i'm lying that means you have zero trust in me that's very demoralizing correct, correct. And, and, and more than demoralizing the, the culture now is pitting me against you right the employer against the manager can I outsmart you? Can I outwit you? Can I out, you know, can, can I make up, uh, you know, m- m- make something up to make you happy and placate you? And exactly. that doesn't get people very far. But here's the big difference. And this distinction, and when people understand this concept, it's a game changer for the organization. If some, there is a difference between making sure someone's doing a job because you don't trust them, which I think is demoralizing without question and sets up a, da- a dynamic right now where it's always cat and mouse cops and robbers, and nobody wants to work in that environment. However, just like you, you know, people are creatures of habit, they do have a comfort zone, and people don't want to be pushed. You know, people don't want to come out of their comfort zone. So if you look at, say, a, um, a personal trainer in a health club, and he has a certain regimen he wants you to follow, and he knows that if you do this regimen five days a week, a half hour per day, and these exercises, you'll get a certain result. Now, you only meet with a personal trainer, say, once a week or twice a week. The rest of the three, four days, you're back to yourself inside your own environment, and you're back to yourself in your home or whatever you'll be. Now, there's something between micromanaging and accountability. Micromanaging and that distrust, which I, of course, don't believe in or don't subscribe to, and that accountability where people need to feel like there is an accountability because people up to their own, you know, left to their own devices, unfortunately, don't push themselves. They will never come out of their comfort zone. However, right. if they know they have to follow up. For example, let's say someone's in a meeting and you have five salespeople around the table on Monday morning and these are all outside independent salespeople or people that you would use that are normally micromanaged. If you say to somebody, go in the field, and on Wednesday, you're all going to come back and tell the entire group two stories that you happen in the fields. We can all learn from those stories. Then people will come back and, wow, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to feel like they didn't come back and have nothing to say. So because they have accountability to a system, they're now going to push themselves more than they would if they didn't have that system. So there's a big difference, again, between that micromanagement and that distrust versus being on top of somebody because you want to have accountability. Right. And by the way, if someone is getting paid a salary, they're getting paid a drawer, is getting paid some kind of compensation, yes, then you do want to make sure they're going to be following up on a certain way the company has versus people right now that can be, you know, left to do what they, what they want to do. And unfortunately, people, people will resort to, to the least amount of effort to get the job done. Right. Uh, again, um, Accountability, like you're saying, accountability doesn't have to be micromanaged, but you could lead someone, like you said, and motivate them and even let them know that they're going to have to report at a certain point, which that could be a way of having accountability without without them feeling like they're being micromanaged. When people are micromanaged, I know from, uh, from firsthand experience, not as being in sales, but as confronting, being honest with the salespeople who worked for me, is that they'll in in an honest moment they'll admit 
that maybe there's you know a couple hours every day where they're really doing nothing and they're trading business cards with their friends work for the other company but they're on the same page because they're both in sales and like okay let's swap business cards you got 10 from this place i got 10 from that place and now we look productive the point is that they, they're going to do all sorts of tricks because you're forcing them to focus on reporting and finding out exact information and you know giving all sorts of stuff which they see and they're right usually that it doesn't really give to the ultimate success of the company and therefore they're just going to you know do other ways to try to get there now moving on to another point um we all know that in sales um it can sometimes be very very discouraging when you you know make phone call after phone call depending on whatever your sales cycle is but effort after effort and trying to convert those sales and those leads into into successful sales um sometimes it could be that your team could be discouraged what is the best way or what is a good method that a sales manager can use to motivate his team and when times are tough it's as follows. You know, it goes back to what I said before, which I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to elaborate on the point. What is the true definition between a manager versus a leader, right? What separates them? And this goes back to, this answers your question specifically regarding how do you motivate your team? You want to make sure your salespeople are doing what they need to get done because they want to, not because they have to. Someone does their job or performs a certain way because they have to. They're being managed. I have to do this. I have to make X amount of my phone calls. I have to bring back X amount of business calls. I have to go ahead and show up as being productive. Want to is whether you're on top of me or not, there's something I desire to get done myself. And the way you do that is by leading, you know, let's go back to an example or go to an example of someone that, you know, is a, a coach on a professional team, right? Some people will go out to the team and say, okay, if the team does X, whatever X is, you have a great practice or you win the game or you're able to hold the opposing team to a certain number of points, you accomplish X, guess what? The entire team will not get this reward, right? You get a reward for achieving certain results, right? Okay. That's great. Other people say, other people take the, take the position, if you don't do something, in other words, if we don't beat the team by X amount of points, or you don't have a good practice, then we're going to be penalized by doing something else. So some people, you know, with the carrot or the stick. Mm -hmm. Are you a reward person where you're rah, rah, you can do it and you push somebody, or you have the other school of thought where you know, I'm going to push you and I'm going to penalize you if you don't succeed. Right, so and I, I know... Listen, go ahead. No, you go, please. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that from, you know, having a bunch of children at home and, you know, you got to coach your own team in the house as well, you have the same thing. You know, you, have, you can reward them for good behavior, you can punish them for bad behavior, but then you find people who abuse the system and they threaten with taking away the reward, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. Like in the example of the coach, he's going to say that if you don't hit this uh, metric, then you're not going to get the reward, which is really kind of going back to square one. Correct. And, 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 and again, people really want to succeed. People do want to achieve greatness. And that's why, going back to what we said before, the leader is out there, do, am I doing a job because I want to do the job or I have to do the job? So the best way to motivate somebody in terms of a lackluster performance and not having a successful sales team and you, and you want to motivate them to go to the next level is when you have someone that's a breakout star or someone that's actually getting results and people look at somebody that stands up and says, listen, I was able to close this sale or I'm in a successful presentation or I was able to make an appointment with this top executive, was able to go ahead and get onto first base, whatever your sales cycle is, to get that initial interaction, right? When people can see results, they can touch, feel, and relate to the person that's getting the results, 
it speaks volumes. So one of the key things that executives do when they want to build a successful sales team is they make sure it's not a one or two or three person sales team. The larger the sales team you have, if you can afford to do it and the environment calls for it, you can have the one or two people that are getting success. And there's nothing more powerful than someone standing up because what happens all the time, this is very important, a lot of people come into sales and they have the blame game. They would do better, but the leads aren't good, mm-hmm. or the training is not good, or the, the climate is not good, or the economy is not good, or the manager is not good. Whatever it is, it's going to be something else on, outside of them that says, I would succeed but for, and they list 20 reasons why they're not successful. When you have one person, just one, who's able to succeed with the same commission, the same training, the same environment, the same market, the same product, the same everything, and they succeed – it allows people to go to the next level because they see, wow, if Charlie can do it, or Martha can do it, or Alice can do it, you know what? I can do it too. Got it. And that ability to create that environment is a game changer. So more than the training, someone that actually succeeds inside of an environment, it allows people to take away the blame game, take away the excuses, and actually take the current tools they have and realize it is up to them, and they break out of their own comfort zone. Awesome. Awesome. Now moving on to another question. If someone is a sales manager so you'll have this dynamic where you have the sales team boots on the ground you have the owners in the conference room around the mahogany table and you have the sales manager who's trying to manage all the pawns wherever they're going what does a sales manager do to to respond to unrealistic and impractical expectations of owners or investors great question i mean happens all the time there's a major disconnect Major right. disconnect between people that are sitting 20,000 feet up, people that are called boots on the ground, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times, even the sales manager right now, you know, they, they haven't sold in, in a while. Sometimes the biggest mistake people make is they promote a top salesperson to a sales manager. Exactly. And that's, you know, a big mistake because ultimately it's a different skill set. They can sell, so but they can't manage. Thing, Correct. It's selling, the fact you are successful doing something, it's like the guy that, you know, is a great, makes an amazing barbecue and his burger is tremendous and people love coming to his barbecue every Sunday and they look at say, Charlie, my gosh, his burger is amazing, you should open up a restaurant. You know, because it's got, it's apples and great food. The fact that someone can make an amazing burger does not mean you should be, be a successful restaurateur, right? So, and same thing in sales. Someone that's successful in selling knows how to sell, knows how to build, you know, build a sales career is nothing to do with the fact that somebody can build and manage a team. Sometimes the worst thing happens. A, you, you lose a top salesperson when you promote somebody. He's no longer selling. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you have a very, you, you have an ineffective manager. Okay, but now so, getting back to ownership. So uh, what is that sales manager? They might be a little bit rusty, but they're managing their team. And ownership says, "What you'll, you made 20 sales today. We expected 40. And when you hit 40, they, they tell you 60. And this pain is real because I've been exactly in that place where as soon as you hit whatever bar they made, they just bump it up and bump it up and bump it up beyond sometimes when it, the, the numbers don't even make sense. Like, you know, we were expected right. to fill beds in uh, whatever in my environment when there weren't even that many things to sell. So, so how do you deal with that? It's, it's, listen, you, you, it's impossible to manage unrealistic expectations. So there's two things that, two um, strategies that a sales manager can counteract with or fight back with in, a, in an unrealistic environment. The okay. first thing to do is to create realistic expectations. In other words, everyone has to be reading from the same playbook. Sometimes a person's idea of success when they start January 1st is if I, if I double my sales. The owner may feel, well, 
that's wonderful. I want you to triple your sales. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the same playbook initially and make it a realistic. A goal should be two things. A sales organization goal should be two things and two things only. Should be realistic but challenging. Realistic but challenging. The company right now does $100,000 in, in, in year one, and year two they want to go to a million dollars. Well, that may be very challenging, but it's not very realistic. Conversely, if they did $100,000 and they went to, they want to go to $110,000, well, that may be very realistic, but not very challenging. So the most important thing to do when you have that interaction with the owner or the investors is to have the same playbook. So you can objectively, objectively look at your results and both know objectively how you're doing. It goes back also before, ironically enough, with the salesperson. You know, the way you don't have to manage people and the way you don't have to micromanage people is sales is one of the great equalizers. Numbers speak for themselves. Ultimately, somebody, as a, me, as, as a sales manager, if I'm going to be managing a team, truthfully, it doesn't make a difference to me that they're going to have 10 appointments or one appointment, 30 appointments or no appointments. Why? Some people are great at long interactions and long get-togethers. They can make golf with somebody for, for, you know, for the entire afternoon and be successful closing the sale. Mm -hmm. All the people right now have no ability, desire to, to do that. And after a half hour, they get uncomfortable. They can't continue the conversation. And they'd rather have 15 meetings versus one long meeting. So to me, counting business cards and how many appointments are good early on for someone to know that there are some rules of engagement and there are some parameters to manage expectation because it's, it is a numbers game but ultimately if somebody's producing that's the ultimate ultimate barometer if they're working or not because ultimately sales is not numbers x amount of presentations gets x amount of closes right Usually, and that's what it is right. so whatever those x are so that goes back to numbers same thing over here you have to manage expectations you have to know up front the first year salesperson what can you expect to uh to perform at what level and then you can manage them accordingly right or lead them accordingly so when we deal with the owner of the investor, we had three salespeople with the X amount of business last year. What is a realistic but challenging goal for us to hit next year? Then you have the same playbook. The second right. thing, which is just as important as having that same playbook, is to make sure they give you the space and the ability to go in and the tools to succeed. Some people say, okay, we want to double our sales. They give you no, they, they give you no, they, they give you zero resources, you know, whatever resource it may be, whether it's advertising budget, whether it's an assistant, whether it's hiring more salespeople, whatever the case is, you have to have the tools necessary to succeed, whatever the objective goal is going to be between you and the owners. Got it. So, I mean, a, a big part, obviously, is, you know, before you even take on the job and you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to be managing this team, you want to make sure that the ownership and, and investors or whoever it is that the sales manager reports to say, listen, this is what we made last year that, you know, this is what I could do. And again, you're saying it's objective. That's obviously always going to be a conversation. The sales manager is going to always think that the challenge level is lower than what the ownership expects. But at least over there, there's a conversation. And you know, it definitely has to be practical. Now, moving on to another point. We mentioned this earlier, and we came back to it a couple of times. What is, it, I'm, as a sales manager, and I have, let's say, a team, let's say a small team. You know, I'm a small business owner or I'm a sales manager. I have one, two, three salespeople who are selling for me. Uh, what is the best, is there a best way to structure the compensation? Is it base pay plus commission or does it depend on the industry? You know, what is the best way to set that up? There's certainly not one size fits all, but let me give you, you know, a handful of ideas that my 30 years of experience has shown me what has been very effective and what's important, felt flat on its face. Okay. A lot of companies out there have the mentality, you know, 
basically, if you have a pulse, you have a job. It's straight commission. If there were 10, guys, 10 ladies, 10 guys against the wall, if you make it, make it. Don't make it, don't make it. And that, I think, is a disaster way to build a sales force. So for many reasons why it's very ineffective, it just doesn't work. It doesn't mean straight commission per se doesn't work, but taking anybody without any, you know, just throwing people against without any, 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 any ability to even sit down and feel the dynamic makes sense is an ineffective way. So point number one is, Straight commission can be effective, and a lot of companies do have a straight commission, but ultimately what you're saying if you pay someone straight commission without training, without leads, without support, without draw, without anything, what you're saying is I don't believe you may or may not make it. I don't believe in you enough. I'm willing to give you a shot. There's, you know, here's the product. Here's, here's our service. Here's the commission structure. Go to work. And most times people will tell you they hire 10 people in this environment and 11 quit. You know, you can't build a sales force if you don't give them anything, zero. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be straight commission if you give them a whole member. You know, even if you pay someone straight commission, but you're going to take three, four months training them, you're going to work with them one-on-one, you're going to help them, maybe give them a little bit of a drawer, a little bit of a loan, then it speaks volume saying, I believe you're going to make it, otherwise I won't invest my time and energy and money in you. But okay, if you don't give them anything, it speaks the opposite. Right, so I'm saying, so that, that probably sounds like an underlying theme, that however you're going to pay, to pay them and reimburse them, it has to be in a way where they feel reassured and they feel that, that they're not just given a chance and, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It, it, they have to feel that the, whoever's hiring them, that the manager feels that they can be successful and that the manager is invested in them being successful. You're right. It might not be, it might not be that they're on the payroll day one. Uh, but it might be that they're going to be going through training. Or be, you know, they're going to be trailing other people or getting access to certain resources and honing their skills. Uh, and then it's possible, I'm just understanding what you're saying, but then it's possible for a commission-only structure to work in that environment. Correct. Okay. Correct, because you're giving something. You have to give something more than just saying, here's a product service, here's the phone, go to work. Um, but the ideal structure, there is no one size fits all, but ultimately that's one thing to keep in mind. What are you going to give the person to make sure that they feel that they're wanted? You know, people want to come to an organization that are not looking for a job, looking for a career. There's a very big difference. So do you have an environment now that, that encourages growth, encourages someone to advance, encourages someone to go ahead and, and keep climbing the corporate ladder where they don't feel they're maxed out after a year or two of their success okay. or is a path to building success. Again, if it's, uh, uh, it's commission based a hundred percent, and you know, it, regardless if the guy thinks of this as a sprint or a marathon, it's a job, it's a career. Either way, if if I'm taking on a new job and everyone has their own personal financial responsibilities that they have to meet every month, so if I'm getting zero guaranteed salary, by definition, that puts whoever it is on unless on edge, and they can't be in a relaxed, productive. Uh, frame of mind, not relaxed as if you know sitting on the beach and drinking margaritas, but relaxed meaning focused energy because they they really just want to get that quick sale. So I can understand that it even depends. with the right no, training, no, no, but, it but, no, no, but, but again, it depends. That's why I said earlier is that person has this is, has the has a staying power, and they you know a lot of the most highest earning professions out there are straight commission based. Would be investments, insurance, real estate. Things like that, right? Where it is a commission-based environment, people do make, you know, many into the six figures, right? 
and therefore it is a straight commission based. Now, people sometimes enter those careers with unrealistic expectation they'd be able to make money the first week or first month. So mm -hmm. if someone is able to, sometimes they can't, be able to withstand the two, three, four months and sell the product or service with the right methodology and the right way without feeling the pressure, then it can work. But you said it very well. If somebody can't do that and they feel under pressure to perform because out of necessity, no, they won't be able to perform at, their, at, at the right level because they're selling it in a way that's not designed to sell a product or service. Got it. Now, if as a sales manager, I want to know how my, my sales reps are doing. So whether they're on the phone or if they're visiting people in their offices or if they're scouting people out online or whatever their jobs require them to do, it doesn't make sense. Is it recommended that a sales manager joins them on these sales calls or trips or whatever it is? And how do you, if that's something that's beneficial, which I can imagine that it might be, how do you do that without running into the micromanaging and having the salespeople feel like you don't trust them? No, it goes back to a need. A lot of time it is very effective to have someone with more experience or someone with a higher executive title in the company to come down and make an appointment. It does two things. Number one, it makes the prospect or customer feel you know, important. Somebody else comes with them uh, that's more at an executive level. Uh, and number two, you know, what it does also in the salesperson, you know, sales, every product has nuances to it. And, you know, you can read a thousand sales books and take a thousand courses and ultimately there's nothing like experience. So someone that sells a certain product or service has been doing it for X amount of years with a lot of success, you can pick up nuances and techniques and strategies and tips and, and ways to sell the product or service that you can't necessarily get from hearing someone say it in a classroom or yeah. someone, you know, next to your desk. So being in the field, seeing someone real time perform, there's nothing really takes the place of that. Right. I, so I guess this, so if a salesman, but let's say the reason why the sales manager wants to go is because they really want to see how the salesperson is performing. Um, just framing it the way you just said, framing it as a learning experience or framing it as, you know, having his back and, and uh, making sure that the sales can the sale can be treated on the highest level, and that the prospect realizes that this is a serious thing and it's a you know it's a real company, you know, that could really change things. That could really change things around. Now moving on to another point, and again this is something I've also heard salespeople complain about. What happens if you have an awesome sales team? You do everything we spoke about so far, and it, it, the compensation is good, the team is good, the skills are good, and they're closing sales or they're getting very close to closing sales, but then they run into operational issues. So the salespeople are not in operations, whatever the business is. Let's say they come to a store, let's say a simple store, you know, a clothing store. So you have, you have someone out there that's running the right campaigns and everything, but the person who answers, the, who greets them is grumpy and rude and, you know, maybe the product is not good. How does a sales team deal with that? And how do they talk to prospects about that when they're confronted with some of the, some of the blemishes of the product or service that they're selling. Great question, and this comes up all the time when people sell, and that's why I'm a firm believer. Firm believer in that it's it's an organic, holistic process when people sell. That it's not just the salesperson selling a product or service. You have to make sure that when you're selling a product, or they teach in my sales training courses, the most important thing is that you believe in the product yourself. Would you buy this product or service yourself? Something right now that you would actually go ahead and sell and do yourself. 
the second thing is there is a team behind you, right? You have to have an accounting department. You have to have a customer service department, a shipping department. These things right now you rely upon. So you have to also know when you're building a sales career, you have to pick a company right now that you believe in. And it's not just believing in the product you're selling. Is, them, is it someone that you actually would want, you know, to work here for the next 20, 30 years? You have to, when you go into a sales career, it is just that. It's not a job. You know, people make the mistake that to become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or an architect, any profession out there takes a long time between schooling, education, internships, residencies, things like that. To become a sales professional is the same thing. It doesn't mean you, Monday morning you become a sales professional because you decided on Sunday night to become one. What it means, you have to make sure you take it as a profession would take it. And that means picking the right company to work for. And yes, some com- sometimes companies do have you know blemishes. And I'm a big believer in telling people to manage their expectations. You know, imagine this move. You go into a company, they have the best sales team, great sales team, okay. great product, great, great everything. And a thousand people work for the company and you call up and the reception, let's say the company is called, you know, ABC company and a person calls up and the receptionist answers the phone, ABC company, what do you want? You know, you just now ruined the entire effort of all your salespeople, how hard they were creating an image and an impression and a belief how great your company is. Yeah, Imagine went on an airplane. That's not even so bad. Okay. At least they, they said the name of the company. They could have said, huh? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but if, if you go on an airplane, right, and you pull back the uh, tray table in front of you, and it's full of, you know, you sit on an airplane, you're about to go on a trip across the country, you sit back, and before the plane takes off, you pull down the tray table in front of you, and it's full of coffee stains and crumbs and a broke, a dirty napkin. It's all there. You immediately turned off, and your next thought is, my gosh, the plane's you know maintained poorly, or this company doesn't have its act together. All that means was somebody forgot to wipe down that tray table. Right. What you insinuate and you believe is representative of something much bigger and greater than what you're seeing. So yes, it is a very big issue, and I train all leaders and companies and CEOs to understand the salespeople are only as good as the company they are selling, and that's much more than the product. It's the holistic organic environment that they're involved with. Okay. At but, point, everyone works together. Now, uh, but, so assuming that they run into operational issue, so do, do you recommend that the salespeople continue working with the operational people, you know, to resolve it or the like, hand it off, we sold it, we're done, and let the operations people do it, and hopefully you're in a company that you believe in? Sometimes you have no choice. I mean, the right. company is the company, right? They come, sometimes you have the owner's... Uh, relative runs operations you know it's not changing anytime soon so you know ultimately again you have to make sure the company work with you feel comfortable not just with the co- with the product or service but the company itself and that includes the entire operational and support team is there if there's uh there's a sales manager is working with a team they're trying to obviously increase sales is there any uh sort of training method or exercise that you've done with with sales teams that have really seen a sharp increase in their productivity just you know perhaps of shaping the way that they view what they're trying to do on a daily basis is is there such a tool that you use or or exercise or a training method there there are many things that sales managers and sales leaders do a lot of them is incentive-based contest-based 
motivation-based, goal-based, you know, and that's why it goes back to the compensation plan. What works very well when people working, say, four or six people on a team together. Some people have the position, it's each man or each lady to themselves, you know, and I'm a believer right now, if you're working as a team, you want to help people succeed, and part of the doing that, that could be individual commissions and collective commissions. So one part of a compensation plan, you know, one, one, one flavor, so to speak, is let's say the company has a total of 5% commission to pay, whatever, however that equates. Mm-hmm. It could be 4% to the person. It could be 1% goes to a group. So therefore, if everyone's selling, they get 4%. 1% goes to a group. And the team of four, six, seven, eight people, if they hit a certain number, split that together. Got that it. enables people to actually not, not to be so to speak, care about themselves, but motivate and help people close and, and, and encourage people at an extreme as well. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. I really appreciate everything that you've given. I know that we could go on and on about this, but, it, you know, the time is short. But at least, you know, we got a very good handle on a few very practical things for sales managers to implement, things they can implement immediately uh, with their teams. Uh, before we let you go, any final thoughts, resources, or ideas that you want to share uh, with the listeners? Sure. I mean, when you're being a sales leader or a sales manager or a sales coach or sales director, people look to you and you become their leader in that, in that, in that environment. And just like if you're on an airplane, you use the airplane example again, and you're on an airplane, the plane's flying, all of a sudden there's incredible turbulence, really bad turbulence. And you look at the flight attendant and they're happily, you know, rolling down the, the cart and they have a smile on their face. It could be very big turbulence. And you look to them to see how you should react. You know, uh, if you're on, 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 on a ship, on a cruise ship, and there's incredible, you know, torrential rains and bad weather, and you look at the captain that's, you know, merrily on top of the ship, easily and calmly directing the ship, you're calm as well. But if the same environment happens and you see the captain of the ship, you know, running for his life jacket and you see the <laughs> steward is running and pulling down oxygen, you react as the same environment, but you look at people that are leaders around you, you see how they react as a clue how you can react or should be reacting or the same environment. So in every company, things will happen. There'll be a product, there'll be delayed, there'll be a service gets interrupted, there'll be management changes, compensation, there'll be a disruption in some, things happen in the course of the business, especially if it's growing and that's a disruptive business, things always happen. The only thing constant is change. Things will happen. As a leader, you wanna make sure people look to you and they're taking your direction. So ultimately, the people that you are leading will follow your lead. And if you're nervous and concerned, they'll be nervous and concerned. So when you go on a prospect call, you're going you know, to lead a sales team and something happens, make sure you put your best foot forward. You can't be up there leading, motivating, directing a sales team and outwardly expressing your nervous or concern on the same token one breath later saying, sell and hit our goal. The two things are incongruent. You want to make sure that if you're okay, they'll be okay. And ultimately, a leader is a person that people want to follow. Be that director, be that sales champion, be that director of sales. People actually want to emulate and become like and watch your sales team go to the next level. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam, for your time. My really pleasure. appreciate you coming back on the show. And hopefully we'll get this out in the near future and the sales managers will be able to implement everything that you've just said. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.